Isn't it amazing that two songs had the same theme? And uh, when she said that she felt uh, of doing this song, I said, well, send it to me. And I'd already decided to, to do Even If. And I listened to the, I said, well, I guess that's the theme. Anybody here feel like you've done everything you've tried to do and it's not worked out? You're here on the right day. Because God's got a word for you. Is that you trust him no matter. Even if you trust him. And when you've done everything, what? Stand. Stand your ground. Fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to take you to Joshua 24 this morning, and I've titled this, Calling All Dads. Father's Day is such a great celebration. It's actually a celebration of ancestry. I'm one of those that has belonged to Ancestry.com for a long time. But before that, I had a software called Family Tree Maker. And I've got all kinds of stuff on my family. <clears throat> all kinds of stuff. I, I researched Brenda's family. I knew there was some kind of horse thief somewhere in her family. I, haven't, I never found him. Never found him. Good, good, good heritage there. Sumrall. Actually, there's, her maiden name's S-U-M-R-A-L-L. I think her and Lester Sumrall must be related somewhere because he's from that area of Mississippi. And there's even a town called Sumrall, Mississippi. So she's famous in Mississippi, or her family's famous. Um, but I, I just treasured doing that. I, I found people in her family that they, did, they didn't even know their real name. You know, they, everybody had nicknames. Mood. Sumrall. See, who knows who Mood is? Theodore Thomas Sumrall. I found his name. I was the first one in the family of those living that knew his name. I was like the hero at a family reunion, wasn't I? I was like a rock star. I, I've passed out all this stuff. But they didn't even know anything about some of the things. But I just enjoyed, it's the story. It's, it's what people went through. And, and uh, both her Grandmothers came from large families, one from 13 children, the other 17 children, all by the same mother. So how about that? Uh, but great family. I thought about my dad leading up uh, to Father's Day, and I would sit and listen to his stories, and he probably got tired of me asking, tell me that story again. Um, you know, he was in the last bombing raid out of Guam. He was a B-29 pilot. And uh, after the second atomic bomb was dropped, they were still not going to, um, you know, accept the terms of surrender. So he was part of about every, every plane that could get in the air to drop conventional bombs. And on the way back, Japan had, you know, he, he tells me that story. And just I, I get to thinking now, I didn't then, if, he was, if that plane had been shot down, I wouldn't be here. That all of the things that he went through, the entire war, uh, he served in the Army Air Corps, the entire war of World War II. He, was, he didn't get a replacement. He, he just was the whole time in that war. And, uh, and he would tell me the story about when he's leaving Hawaii and flying a plane back for the last time. He was getting out. He was going to go up to Fort Benjamin Harrison and get his discharge and uh, mother uh, had been with him in different bases, and she had had 
the two first children, and uh, he didn't get to see either one of them at birth, so he was eager to see um, Johnny, who was born right there in August of 45. But in leaving Hawaii, uh, somebody didn't check the plane out, and they had a runaway prop on one side of the B-29, and uh, they barely cleared the ships in the harbor. But later on, his cousin, Jack Simpson, who was in the Navy, was watching him take off, told him later that he was on his hands and knees, and he was crying out to God, who he's not a believer, but he's like, get her up, Bubby, get her up, Bubby, because he saw that the plane was spitting and sputtering. And uh, I thought about that, how close a cause he came. But here I am because God's hand was upon him. Um, And in his last weeks of living, um, you know, there's, he would like look off. You know, he, he was coherent. He was, had cancer going all through his skeletal system. And, but he would sit there and eat. And sometimes he'd like he'd day, go in a daze staring off. And one day I said, Dad, would you like to tell me something? Like I think I was looking for maybe win one for the Gipper type, you know. <laughs> tell me something. Are you wanting to tell me something? He looked at me and says, No. I said, okay, <laughs> just asking. But uh, I also want to honor Brenda's dad today because uh, what a great man. He went through some hardships in his life. He lost his arm before he was 20 years of age, his right arm to an industrial accident. And uh, they lost Brenda's little brother when he was, what, eight, eight years of age. The only son he had, uh, he buried from a car accident. Uh, he was on his bicycle when he was hit. Um, on into his adult years, he had other things, but you would never have known it. You would never know what he went through. He was, uh, he just kept going. And if there's someone that he epitomized the songs that we had today, even if it would be him. And uh, I thank God for him. I thank God for him because I wouldn't have this wonderful lady in my life without him. But let's jump to Joshua 24 before we all get emotional, okay? Um, I'm just going to read part of this, um, and this is toward the end of Joshua's life. And um, I thought about just going down to the verse I'm going to speak on, but I want to put it in, in context of why he was saying what he was saying. He, was, he died at the age of 110, so he's nearing the finish of his journey. So he assembles all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summons the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials, all the leading people and how they were structured civically. And, and they presented themselves to God, before God. And Joshua said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And he takes them through their history. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river. He's talking about the Euphrates River, up where uh, Iraq is, where, where all of that area is. That's part of the Chaldean culture. Beyond the river and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. 
Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan, where the nation of Jordan is right now. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan, came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gergesites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Try to say that all real quick. But I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, and the two Amorite kings... You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Here's where I'm going to take you. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. If you've got a different translation, it may say in sincerity and truth. Anyone have something like that or sincerity and faithfulness? Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. He's talking about the Euphrates River. And serve the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. And, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, some translation evil, uh, like you, it, 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 it repels you from doing that, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the Euphrates River are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. And you've heard this before, right? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're going to touch on that a little bit more. But uh, I, I want to introduce you to, I don't know if you heard this story, but the picture that's about to appear is Monty Williams and his wife, Ingrid. Now, back in February of last year, at that time, he was an assistant NBA coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder. His wife, Ingrid, on February the 10th, was involved in a car accident in which the, the lady driving the car that caused the accident died, was declared dead at the scene, and his wife that you see there died the very next day. And it was, it, it was a stunning blow because even when he worked with the New Orleans Pelicans, and uh, people like Antonio Davis and all these people, were they said that she was like a second mother to them. Their faith, their Christian faith, the structure of their family and who they were kind of brought people in, and it was stunning to so many that this popular woman that had an influence on so many people was suddenly gone. Now, here's where the national news picked up this funeral and the eulogy because everybody was a little questionable whether it was a good idea for Monty Williams to get up and give a eulogy at his own wife's funeral. They thought he would struggle. They thought he'd have moments of emotional breakdown. But none of that happened. 
He was strong. He never showed any emotion, even though I'm, it was raging within him. But he, in his eulogy, he said these words. Everybody is praying for me and my family, and that is right. He said that before referencing Susanna Donaldson, the driver who hit William's wife and also died in the crash. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. We have no ill will toward that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. Life is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will toward the Donaldson family. And we as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family as well because they grieve as well. It made national news. Some of you might remember it was played over and over again that someone so hurt and so wounded could go back and reference, but it's not out of place when you go and see the context of what Joshua was talking about. In fact, when Joshua said, as for me, he, he wasn't saying it as for me as a leader of Israel, did he? He said, as for me as a husband and a father. And this was, his, this was the mission statement for the Williams family. This is what they wanted to live by. That no matter what came across their lives, they were dedicated to living their life for the Lord. And so what Joshua was really calling people in, in chapter 24, nearing the end of his journey, he was calling heads of family. He was calling all dads, all fathers to declare that same statement. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you see, before he said those words in the latter part of verse 15, you cannot just read that absent of what he says in 14 in the first part of 15. Look at it again. Now fear the Lord. Now fear the Lord and serve him. Serve him with all faithfulness. Serve him with sincerity and truth. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then he talks about this, and the, the last thing he has to say about it is, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, here's what I wonder. I wonder how our service to God really is if we don't stand in awe of God. How much is our service if it's not birthed out of this awe of God? Not a phobia. It's not a, a phobos. It's not like I'm going to run from him because I'm afraid of him. It's this awe. The word implies to, to see with, with awe, to stand in awe, to be a little shaken when you're in, in the presence of that kind of power and holiness and authority. He was telling them, before you can really serve the Lord, you have to first fear him. You're not going to serve him. He, he didn't say serve the Lord and fear him. He says, fear the Lord and serve him. 
Now, if you go on down in, in chapter 24, somewhere around, I think, verse 29, it tells, you know, how old he was when he died. He was 110 years of age. And this is this kind of conclusion to the book of Joshua. And in verse 31, it says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. He's not only infected his family, he affected the entire nation. And the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord done for Israel. It tells us there was people alive when he was saying this that were maybe children and young people when everything went haywire when the ten spies went against the purpose of God. There was a younger generation that God said he's going to raise up to be warriors to go into the land and possess the land. And he was talking to those who had witnessed all of that, who had seen the power of God, who had experienced the power of God, and he's telling them, you've, you've been exposed to the greatness of God. Stay there. Stay in the greatness of God. That's what fear the Lord. Stay in the awesomeness of God. Let me take you to the book of Exodus because you know, here, here is the people of Israel. They've gotten out of Egypt, and they've come to Mount Sinai, and, and uh, Moses is going up to the mountain. He's going to get the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 19, God gives the people the specific instructions. says, don't come near the mountain. Don't touch it. Don't let any animal touch it. I only want Moses and Joshua on that mountain. Joshua went up halfway. I mean... I said Wednesday night, there's two men in the Bible that lived a life that's hard to point out any weaknesses, and that's Joseph and Daniel. But I think you can put Joshua in that group because you just can't hardly find any flaws with him as you're reading this. He's, he walks after God. He's served God, and, and he's calling the people. He's saying, serve the Lord, fear him. In Acts 19, or Exodus 19, the Lord gave them specific instruction, and included in that, they was all supposed to do laundry. It's there. It's in chapter 19. They're all, they're all supposed to wash their clothes. And he, and he even told them, I know this is, this is in there. It might be a little uncomfortable for me to tell you. He says, for three days, nobody is to have intimacy in their marriages. He's calling them to a state of purity because they're about to see something they've never seen before. And he wants them to have, be fully focused on who he is. It's in there. You can read it. And then it says this in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, the three days, he said, I want you to separate yourself unto me. On that morning, it says, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And then if you go to chapter 20 in Exodus, he gives those ten commandments. And later on in Exodus 20 and verse 18, it says, When the people saw the thunder, the lightning, and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses this, Speak to us, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. That is called the fear of the Lord. 
They were standing in awe of this moment where they saw visual evidence of the power of God. And Moses said to them, don't be afraid. Isn't that something? Don't be afraid. Yeah, the mountain's shaking and thunder and lightning and trumpet blasts and all this is going on. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you. And the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. There is the purpose of the fear of God. It's, it's, it's not we're afraid to disappoint him. It's who he is. And he said, if you have the fear of God, it'll keep you from sinning. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. They trembled with fear, with the awe of God's presence. So Joshua, decades after what you just read in Exodus 20, decades later, he's 110, and he's challenging the people one more time to remember the awe of God. Remember that day when you were, you were out of sorts with the presence of God, to fear him, to serve him in sincerity and truth. And you know, the, the, the translation I read in NIV is... is really poorly done right there. There's two words. There's sincerity, which means wholeness, completeness. And truth is with a continuation, a sense of continuation within that knowledge. So serve him, fear the Lord and serve him out of that fear, out of that knowledge of who he is. You know, Romans 1 talks about people who decided not to keep on to the knowledge of God, who even though they knew God, they decided not to retain the knowledge of God. And, and there's a consequence for that. So this is what, what Joshua's calling them is to avoid that consequence. Because if you forget and leave the knowledge of God, it will lead you into the very thing that the fear of God keeps you from, and that is a sinful life, a life built around yourself. Here's two influence. He says, and put away, put away the God's, that your ancestors served on the other side of the Euphrates. And he even named Terah, the father of God, and Nahor, an uncle. He even named those who were influencers in, in Abraham's life. And he had to depart from that influence. And he's calling them to remember those things that was in your family's history. Don't go back there. Or even the gods that we have right around here with our neighbors. And isn't that two patterns of influence that we have? Is old, old history trying to resurface in our families? Where people try to make everything genetic? You know, I'm probably going to offend some people here this morning, but not everything is a generational curse. It is the result of sin. Sin. There are some things. You know, somebody might have high cholesterol in their family. That doesn't mean we have to have the same attitudes of those in front of us. And this is what he, he says. Those things that captivated, maybe, maybe your family life wasn't that good when you was a child. But you don't have to repeat that. You don't have to let the same idols that possessed your ancestors come and possess your life. This is what he's talking about. Are those influences right around you? I really think that we've lowered the bar so much when it comes to morality that even in the church, people just kind of wink at certain things. And God is calling us to have enough fear of him 
and the, and the awe of him to recognize when something, he doesn't smile on that. He doesn't think that's cute or funny. He, he's repelled by some of the behavior of people in this world. And if we have the awe of God, it should repel us from that same behavior. He said, as for me and my house, the place that I'm responsible for, we're going to serve the Lord. We live in the midst of idolatry. He also mentioned that in class. Wealth, seeking, pleasure. I, uh, I was given a podcast to listen to this woman named Gracia, G-R-A-C-I-A, Burton, B-U-R-N-H-A-M. And I want to spell that out again so that you can Google her uh, in interview on podcast, Gracia Burham, B-U-R-N-H-A-M, Gracia, not Gracie, Gracia, G-R-A-C-I-A. Here's what I want to mention. She is a missionary, her and her husband were missionaries in the Philippines several years ago, and they went off on an anniversary to a resort in one of the islands of the Philippines, left their three teenage kids at home, and while they were there celebrating the anniversary, Islamic terrorists stormed the resort and her and her husband were taken hostage. Looking for a ransom, looking for someone to pay enough to release them. And some, and you know, her story was at some point there was a ransom and when it was time to collect the ransom, they didn't think it was enough so they, they delayed their release. And so special ops we're tracking this group and finally came up on him. And in the gunfire, Martin was shot fatally in the chest. She was shot in the calf of one of her legs. And she watched her husband die in front of her. She was able to get home, get connected to her, her kids, put her husband to rest and carry on with her life. And her testimony is an amazing journey of the grace of God. How she was living out her life, speaking and sharing and writing, and all three of her kids were now grown. They were married. They had kids. And, and at the, toward the end of that interview, Cynthia Davis asked her, said, well, are you happy? Well, that's kind of an odd question to ask someone, isn't it? Are you happy? And this was basically her answer. Happiness is not the goal. Faithfulness is the goal. And if God so calls me and opens the door for me to go back, I'll pack my bags today and head back. And I thought about that because I've heard so much in my life over the last few years about our right to be happy and our pursuit of happiness. And there's nothing wrong with fulfillment, personal fulfillment. It only becomes wrong when you pursue it outside the purpose of God. When you pursue happiness outside of the will of God, outside of the plan of God, outside of the context of the awe of God, there's all kinds of people in pursuit of happiness. Maybe another relationship, maybe the job, maybe more money, 
just something, something to make me happy. And I thought it was interesting that she tackled one of the great idols in our lives today. And that's this myth that somebody else outside of you, a mortal person, is going to be your source of happiness. Dr. Richard Dobbins said, if, if you're unhappy when you get married, you will be happily or unhappily married. You not only will remain unhappy, you'll make the other person unhappy. Because happiness inside of us, why do I mention that? It's because the way we pursue things in our lives today. I think God is calling all dads just like what Joshua is calling, calling all dads. And here's what I'm going to sum it up with this. He's calling all dads here today, all men for that matter, to be willing to stand alone if need be for the purpose of God. I don't know how many times when I knelt down next to Jason's bed and I decided that every night I was going to pray for him and walk into Kelly's room and pray for her. But I found myself praying continually when he hit his adolescent years and his teen years. I said, Lord, help Jason to be strong enough to stand for you if he's the only one standing. And I would pray that over Kelly because I could not make their decisions for them. I could, by prayer and by my petitions to God, try to implant in their mind what was really important. And what was really important is that they not just fit in, that they don't cater to the culture that they're around, that they live the culture of Christ. And if that puts them in the minority, may God help them to stay with that and be what Joshua said. If everybody in this gathering wants to serve those gods from across the Euphrates and the gods next door to us, that's your choice. But I'm making my choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're in this for the long haul. Be willing to forsake the gods of this world, men. And be willing. I was listening to a, a guy who plays tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. I can't think of his name right now. But he wrote a playbook for dads. And he was explaining that every day his kids pray for him. He has five kids. And he has this just magnetic personality. Just coming off Achilles injury, which is a long rehab. And, you know, he's been in the NFL for a number of years. But he's written this book for dads. And, and it's kind of interesting. He says, what I've learned is sometimes men just need to listen. And see, that, that was just, you just, ladies, you missed it. You missed the amen. <laughs> Not to try to fix something, just listen. Yeah, there's a few amens out there. And he's like, I learned from my mistakes. I, I made mistakes. And I'm thinking, shouldn't we all kind of be on that journey? That, you know, well, I'm, I'm the dad and I'm a husband and I don't need any help. I don't need to learn anything else. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. You just confess that you need to learn something else. 
Because we need to be, here's what I'm called, I believe God is calling dads, is to learn, to read, to explore, and discover how God wants you to be in your home. What kind of husband does he want you to be? What kind of father does he want you to be? And you might say, wow, I, I'm going to be really in over my head by tackling that. No, you're not. Not with his help. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you stand with me?